Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons in parenting, legacy, and built-in sixth sense. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Thank you to my guests, brand partners, community, and you for making the show possible. Episodes release every Thursday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and by following me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Kanika Chada Gupta. Now let's dive in to today's episode. You may not know it, but every one of us has been supported by March of Dimes, even if you're healthy today. Right now, we're facing a serious challenge. This nation is one of the most dangerous for childbirth. Why? Health inequity. March of Dimes is working to make a world where every mom and baby is healthy, where every family has equal access to care, where every baby born too soon has a chance to survive, and every mom, pregnant, and postpartum is heard. Since 1938, March of Dimes has never given up on improving the health of families. They're working to end preventable maternal and infant death and illness and close the health equity gap, no matter your background, your gender, your race, or where you live. With your help, time, and voice, March of Dimes can make that happen. It has been an honor to work with the organization to share stories of families and lives they've touched and ongoing research on That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. We all are March of Dimes. Donate today at marchofdimes.org. Welcome, dear listeners, to a very special episode of That's Total Mom Sense. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, a time to honor and remember our angel babies. Today, we'll learn more about the incredible efforts of March of Dimes, an organization that has been at the forefront of supporting families and funding critical research in the realm of infant and maternal health for decades. Their initiatives in this space have touched countless lives, offering hope, compassion, and a beacon of light to those navigating the journey of loss. Today, I'll be joined by March of Dimes spokesperson, Shahdi Tofig. Shadi Tofig serves as the Director of Maternal Infant Health at Marsh of Dimes, Arizona, and is deeply committed to advancing healthcare system and policy initiatives. Born into a refugee family who had to learn how to navigate a new country and its different systems, Shadi understands the importance of a positive experience for birthing people and their families. With a background of nearly 15 years in the field of public health, she has successfully overseen global and domestic programs in reproductive, maternal, infant, and adolescent health and their rights. Her expertise lies in affecting positive change through policy formulation, curriculum and guideline development, and program execution, often in close collaboration with governmental agencies and community partnerships. She is a member of the advisory board for the Maternal Health Initiative and dedicates her expertise to the peer review process of the Reproductive Health Journal. 
She participates in the interagency working group for reproductive health in crises, sub working groups, and also represents March of Dimes on government task forces. Shadi, it's wonderful to have you join us today. Thank you for having me, and thank you for having March of Dimes on. Absolutely. So, as I did my research, I found that there are various scenarios for infant loss. There's stillbirth, neonatal mortality, uh, sudden infant death syndrome, preterm births and low birth weight, geographic variability, and gestational age. Can you touch on just the varying degree of what can happen early on? Sure. So infant loss and pregnancy loss, there are physiological changes that happen in the body. And so that can be attributed to miscarriage. And that's when there's pregnancy loss before 20 weeks. And miscarriage is very common, but not talked about often. And many families grieve in silence. Research suggests that more than 10 to 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage and before people even know that they're pregnant. And most miscarriages end before the first trimester. With stillbirth, this is a loss of a fetus before or during delivery after the 20th week of pregnancy. And unfortunately, this occurs in approximately one in 160 pregnancies in the United States. That means every year there's about 21,000 babies that are born stillborn. That's nearly 58 every day. So it's quite tragic and heartbreaking for, for expectant families. And unfortunately, there is ethnic disparities in relation to stillbirth. Which communities would you say are predisposed to an occurrence like that? So the causes of stillbirth or prematurity or infant mortality are not completely known, even though there's evaluation and studies done. Unfortunately, for every case, we can't determine what the cause of um, loss was we still lose more than uh, 20,000 babies every year. And infant mortality is the loss of a baby before their one-year birthday. And there are some differences in terms of um, maternal age and the risks associated with infant mortality compared to maternal age. And the two age groups that are at risk are women over 40 years of age, and women under 20 years of age, so adolescents. And the primary reason for that is because their bodies aren't developed, their pelvises are smaller, and that causes birthing complications. The other forms of death for infants are sudden infant death syndrome, and that unfortunately affects about one in a thousand infants. And in 2021, 1,400 babies died of SIDS. And this is the unexplained sudden death of otherwise a healthy baby, usually during their sleep before they turn one. And in addition to sudden infant death syndrome, we have preterm birth. And so preterm birth affects one in 10, ten babies in the United States. And it's when a baby is born before 37 weeks gestation. And they generally have a low birth weight which contributes to complications in their development and growth. And low birth weight affects, in general, around 1 in 12 babies and 
newborns. And so the risks for preterm labor, if you've had a premature baby in the past, you're pregnant and expecting multiples, so twins or triplets or more. You may have had problems with your uterus or cervix now, or you've had them in the past. A common example is um, women who have used IVF are 4.3 times more likely to have a preterm birth than those who did not undergo IVF treatment. So those are physiological changes that happen that can cause infant and pregnancy loss. Then we can look at our wider ecosystem that we live in. And so that depends on the geographic availability of obstetric hospitals that also have NICU wards. Do we have healthcare providers in the counties that we live in? So right now in the, in the United States, our moms and babies are in crisis because many of um, our counties don't have either an OB facility and healthcare providers that can deliver babies safely. This is not only prominent in rural locations, but also in urban locations where we see many birthing hospitals closing. Such a tragic phenomenon. And I know it's something that March of Dimes is leading as far as letting the public know about maternity care deserts. And that's where there aren't any viable options for obstetric care or providers. It's wonderful that you're identifying these gaps and then working on initiatives to serve this community of people. It's all about increasing access to quality health care. Exactly. Can you share about how families can kind of have this awareness around infant loss early on? Are there changes that a mother can do when she has, you know, a baby in gestation? What, what should she know? So we don't always know definitively what the causes are of infant loss, stillbirth or preterm birth. And a pregnant person can do everything right during pregnancy and still give birth early or experience loss. Mm-hmm. That being said, there are some ways to reduce that risk. And that includes seeking comprehensive prenatal care, following their healthcare provider's recommendations, making those lifestyle choices that promote healthy pregnancy. And what does that include? That includes avoiding smoking, alcohol, street drugs, avoiding the misuse of prescription drugs, maintaining a balanced diet and nutrition and weight, managing your chronic health conditions, should you have any. So regular and timely prenatal checkups can help identify and address potential risks early on. In addition to that, reducing stress and building community is is extremely important during pregnancy. And this can involve talking to your boss about ways to lower your stress at work, having a doula, Doulas provide emotional support, advocacy, education, and referral throughout pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum period. And we know that we live in a social media age, and so ensuring that you have trusted resources of information and building community online through different platforms is important, and March of Dimes provides those resources. We have an app 
called Compass by March of Dimes. And it provides educational information for expectant families throughout their pregnancy journey. We also have Facebook group chats. We have on our website loads of information that's easily accessible for people to utilize and refer to. You know, it's really important to allow our bodies to recuperate after pregnancy. And so the recommendation is to wait at least 18 months or more ideally up to 24 months between giving birth and getting pregnant again. But there's also a dual benefit for that. You're a new mom, you have a baby, it gives you the opportunity to bond with that baby and grow with that baby and with your family and have some quality time before entering into a second pregnancy. Last but not least, and I share this information with families and moms that I encounter, um, not only in Arizona, but across the world, is self-advocacy and the importance of advocating for yourself and feeling empowered to engage in your own healthcare, making informed decisions, and having your preferences and needs respected and listened to. It overall contributes to a safer and more personalized and satisfying pregnancy and childbirth experience. Be vocal and remain vocal and your health comes first and that's most important. 100%. I couldn't agree more. In my own personal experience, I suffered an ectopic pregnancy and it was one that left me completely shocked and, and blindsided. I didn't know this was a phenomenon, but I think one thing that I'm glad I did was be vocal and, you know, stand up for what I knew I needed. And this was at a practice in New York City. And I had a trusted friend who was an OB. And because I had HCG levels that were so low, and I felt these referral pains in my shoulder, she explained to me that this could be an ectopic pregnancy because nerve endings from your uterus lead to your left shoulder and that could be what's causing the pain. So make sure to get an ultrasound. And even though I was only seven weeks along, I went through the RNs and they said, no, sweetie, you don't, you don't need to do this. You're just too early on. And I pushed for it and saw my doctor in the hallway and I said, I need to get an ultrasound today. I understand it's not typically when you conduct them, but I have a feeling that this could be an ectopic and I want to be sure. We found that my uterus was empty. And so it was, you know, accurate to that assumption. And I think, you know, this show, it's called That's Total Mom Sense. And it's a fun play mm -hmm. on words. But at its core, I believe we have a built-in sixth sense. We have an intuition. And I think it's imperative that we listen to that gut instinct because sometimes it can save your life. It does. And thank you for sharing your story. And unfortunately, it's a story that we hear that's all too common and there are similar stories out there and being vocal and requesting certain tests or procedures done is really important, not only for your health, but the health of your baby. And being that advocate for yourself goes a long way. 
Exactly, exactly. You know, I know you touched on this, but research has shown that Black women experience more rates of pregnancy loss, including miscarriage, stillbirth, and preterm and infant death, more so than their white female counterparts. And in addition to being at risk for these adverse outcomes, Black mothers themselves are three to four times more likely Mm -hmm. than white mothers to die of pregnancy-related causes. Can you shed light on why this phenomenon exists and what March of Dimes is doing to alleviate this? There is a crisis and a racial ethnic disparity crisis when it comes to maternal infant health outcomes in the United States. And it is real and acute for women of color and particularly Black women. Black women are 27% more likely to experience severe pregnancy complications than white women. And there is no single root cause or solution to this. What we do know is that there's inadequate access to health care, there's missed or delayed diagnosis, lack of knowledge about warning signs, poor quality of health care, implicit bias and structural racism contribute to higher rates of maternal and infant health complications. So it's a combination of systemic issues in our society that is directly causing higher rates of maternal and infant mortality Mm -hmm. among Black women and babies. So a recent CDC study indicated that there was an 87% increase in in maternal mortality from 2018 to 2021. An 87% increase in just such a short time. Oh my goodness, it's staggering. We're trending in the wrong direction and urgent action is needed. It takes a collective effort to ensure the safety and well-being of all mothers. So how can my listeners and you know mothers-to-be get involved with March of Dimes? Are there virtual programs or in-person programs where they can learn more about pregnancy and you know hopefully prevent any sort of infant loss that could occur? We provide many ways for families going through their pregnancy journey or facing the unthinkable challenges and struggles of loss to find hope and answers and a sense of peace. And so we have a multitude of resources and initiatives that your listeners can be involved with. We encourage folks to join the March of Dimes community to find support through our Facebook page. You can consider giving a gift in remembrance and honor of your babies and donate to March of Dimes. And that goes towards um, our research and our innovative fund um, that helps reduce and find actionable solutions for pregnancy complications and infant loss. And taking action at home in your comfort zone, either on your laptop, your cell phone, or your iPad. There are different ways that you can advocate with your lawmakers and getting in touch with them about the importance of passing the Shine for Autumn Act and the Maternal and Child Health Stillborn Prevention Act and the Premi Act. These are three different bills at the federal level that March of Dimes is championing. And um, we encourage 
everyone to join us in our action network. We have pre-messaged emails that are ready to be disseminated once you sign up to your local legislators. And that's how you all can make a difference. For those who have been through such a tragedy, are there support groups that they can join and be a part of? So with our Facebook, there are different types of group chats depending on what the needs are of families. So we encourage you to look at the group chats and join those that are important to you. But then there are in your local community, emotional and mental health support is extremely important during pregnancy and postpartum, regardless of experiencing any form of loss. I would recommend reaching out to your local providers for resources on um, group grieving um, services and care and receiving those referrals. Shadi, could you tell us more about March of Dimes Innovation Fund and how families can get involved with that? March of Dimes supports five prematurity research centers. And recently we announced that our Stanford Prematurity Research Center is expanding their focus on reoccurrent pregnancy loss. In addition to that, we also remain hopeful because we have launched the Innovation Fund. And it's a place where we can all collectively, not only those at March of Dines, but the greater community can invest in companies that are poised to make tangible improvements in maternal infant health outcomes. This initiative has already made strategic investments, which are developing technologies to advance maternal fetal medicine, improving healthcare delivery, and monitoring vital health metrics. So these are just some of the ways we also are very active in advocating for policies that improve the health of all moms and babies, no matter what their pregnancy journey is. Yeah, and I think that not only from a standpoint for research and bringing about awareness, it's a means for support for families who are going through this, where now they have a lifeline of doctors and scientists and others who are navigating a similar situation. So it's really, really wonderful that you have a myriad of initiatives that you're working on that can help families in need. And we also have educational resources on our website and different ways that folks can get involved directly. There's this quote that I have shared with several families. It's by Joanne Cacciatore. And she states, suffering endured becomes compassion expressed. Grieving becomes giving. Oh, wow. That is so touching. We all need to collectively grieve and take a moment, but when the time comes, we can give. We can give by volunteering. We can give by advocating. We can also give by investing in different programming and initiatives and research such such as the Innovation Fund. Everyone can reach us at marchofdimes.org. You can find support at the tab that says find support. We also have a tab for advocacy if you're interested. There's also another tab for donations um, if you're interested in investing in the innovation fund. Um, you can consider giving a gift in remembrance and honor of your baby. 
So all of this information is available at marchofdimes.org. Well, thank you so much, Shadi, for joining me on that subtle mom sense today. This was incredibly enlightening. And I'm glad that the audience now knows more about Infant Loss Awareness Month this October. Thank you for having me on and raising awareness around pregnancy loss and infant loss. I know it'll mean a lot to the families out there. Now I'm joined by Erica Nolting-Young, and she is involved in March of Dimes Innovation Fund as a supporter. Erica Nolting-Young was raised in Bristol, Connecticut, the daughter of two hardworking parents and a high-achieving little sister who grew up following in the footsteps of her older sister. This led her to college at Cornell University, where she met her eventual husband, Chris, on the track team. Years after college, Erica and Chris reconnected in LA, fell in love, and were married in 2016. They wanted time to enjoy being a married couple and desire to reach career milestones before having kids. As they approached their mid-30s, the pandemic struck, and it quickly became evident that it was not an ideal time to be in hospitals for any reason, so they decided to put off kids for another year or two. In 2021, they bought a new house complete with bedrooms for the two kids they envisioned having in their lives. They achieved their career milestones. They were ready. They enjoyed a blissful and easy pregnancy. But that window of bliss was shattered abruptly when their baby girl, Summer Vivian Young, suffered a hypoxic event in the final minutes of delivery as she was being born. She struggled for her life for almost two hours in the NICU, and doctors attempted to rescue her before they explained her passing was inevitable, and Erica and Chris had to say goodbye to Summer before they ever got to say hello. In the aftermath, Erica and Chris set out to find what caused Summer's death. Despite conversations with a number of OBGYNs, MFMs, and other specialists, they never got answers, but they found the March of Dimes and its newly formed Innovation Fund. The Innovation Fund had recently funded Radiant Oximetry, a startup developing sensor technology that directly measures fetal oxygen levels, a technology that might have been critical to identifying if there were earlier signs of summer struggle than what can be deciphered from tracing reports. They set out to create a fund in Summer's name to help her make an impact in the world by saving other babies and families from labor and delivery tragedies. Erica, welcome to that Total Mom Sense. Thank you. It's really nice to be here with you. Yes, thank you for sharing your experience. I know that so many of us have either experienced a loss ourselves or know someone who has. And the fact that you're shedding light on this is really, really crucial for our collective healing. I wanted you to kind of set the stage of when you and Chris were pregnant with Summer. What was it like, you know, leading up to labor? Yeah, we were really lucky that we actually had a very easy pregnancy. It seemed picture perfect. And it's almost ironic. I remember saying to a friend and client of mine, I feel like I should knock on wood because it's been so easy. And I was so afraid that pregnancy would be scary and would somehow rock me on my track. But we had easy appointments. There were no signs that anything was wrong. When I look back, sometimes Chris and I wonder if maybe there were things that doctors should have looked at more carefully, we have the appearance of being perhaps a little younger than we actually are. We're really, really healthy. We take good care of ourselves. 
we ask a lot of questions most of the time. And so it's quite possible that uh, it would be easy for a doctor to overlook and, and not ask because they're not looking for problems with the people who seem to be really healthy and to be asking the right questions. But the first time you go through pregnancy, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Doctors are looking for things that are really obvious, blatant signs that something is wrong. They're not always looking for the things that are silent undertones that maybe something could be a little bit off unless you've already had a tragic loss. And now everybody tells me, should we be lucky enough to have another child that will be watched like a hawk? And people will ask us all of the questions and put us through all of the tests. I just wish that we didn't have to go through a loss to get that level of attention. But pregnancy was easy the first time. It was nice. I ran all the way through pregnancy to 32 weeks. Wow. And walked at the end. The day before we delivered, I went out for a five-mile walk and I was feeling really good, excited, but nervous. You know, we spent a lot of time doing all the things that normal expecting parents do. We had a baby shower. We set up a room for our little girl. We debated over all of the things that we wanted, which running a stroller to have in the house and what kind of care would be right when we both went back to work after leave. Never in our wildest dreams did we imagine that we could end up where we are. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us, were there any signs that you felt like, hmm, I need an extra checkup or something like that? Because this show is predicated upon our built-in sixth sense. You know, I call it our mom sense, you know, dad sense, <laughs> auntie sense, whatever you want to say. But we we do have this inner knowing with our kids. And so we have to trust it. Was there a point during the pregnancy that you felt something was off? There was never something that indicated to me that something was really obviously off. I could say in the last handful of days before we delivered summer, there had been a discussion with the um, OB about whether we wanted to deliver at 40 weeks in two days or wait a few more days to see if Summer would come on her own. And by and large, what I had read online and what I had heard from friends and family members is that it's very common in a first pregnancy and delivery for a baby to come late and that if you just give it a couple of days, often labor will start on its own. And I was nervous about the idea of inducing really early on. I knew that inducing could launch you into pretty aggressive labor. And I just wanted to see if Summer would come on her own. And so instead of delivering at 40 plus two, I said, could we wait a couple more days after that? So we had moved our delivery date ourselves by just a few days. And then um, our OB had told us, I really want to make sure you don't go past 41 weeks. And so she had made sure we were just inside of 41 weeks. And we all agreed that felt like a wise choice. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, unfortunately, the hospital called us all of two, three hours before we were supposed to report on our delivery date and told us that there was a shortage of nurses and they had people who had come in in spontaneous labor and they needed to contend to those patients first. And so our delivery date got pushed a few extra days after that, mm. past that 41 week window, because we seemed to be healthy and everything seemed to be okay. We hadn't had any complications in our pregnancy. No one was worried. Um, they planned to bring us in for a non-stress test the next day to make sure everything looked all right. 
I do remember in the deliberation over should we do this two days after 40 weeks or should we wait a couple of days feeling really panicked and calling one of my friends actually who's a nurse who had worked in the NICU at a top hospital in Connecticut where I grew up and having this chat about what should I do? I don't know what to do. My doctor told me it's really up to me that it probably won't make a difference one way or another and feeling like too much responsibility had been put in my hands and I just really wasn't sure what to do. Sometimes I wonder when I think back to that moment, was that my body trying to tell me like, you need to do this Mm -hmm. now? Like, why was I crying about a decision that my doctor was not panicked about at all and seemed completely fine with me taking a few extra days? But something about that had me nervous. I remember telling myself, I'm nervous because this is my first labor and delivery and I don't know how to make these choices. I don't know what to expect. And I want my doctor to guide me a little bit more and tell me the answer. But I also realized at that point, there had been numerous times in the pregnancy where people ask you, do you want this test or do you not want this test? Or do you want this extra appointment or not? And so there are things that you get to choose along the way. And as like my husband's an engineer and I'm a consultant, I always want more data to help me make those choices. And in labor and delivery and pregnancy, there's just not a lot of data. There are a ton of confounding factors and it's a very difficult area to research. So you do have to rely on your mom's sense more than you might like. I, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm glad that you um, know that now. And I think as, as first time moms, we, we don't trust it because we feel like, what do we know? You know, the doctor knows best, but you know, you really do. Yeah. I've learned that a hundred percent of the time it's worth asking the question. There really is no such thing as a stupid question. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not know everything. There's no way to know everything when you're a patient. We didn't go to medical school. People study this for years to be able to practice. So there's no way you can know it all. Uh, you have to ask the questions. There's also no way for your doctor to know it all. And and I know from actually working in my line of working consulting sometimes with healthcare professionals that one of the biggest challenges is keeping up with the amount of research coming out every single year. It's worth asking questions and challenging people. And sometimes it's worth getting second opinions. Yes, exactly. And was there anything, you know, mismanaged with your care? Because that's something we need to talk about too, you know. Do you feel like the doctors and team who work with you were truly listening and amenable to your needs? So the first thing I mentioned earlier was that I only had one non-stress test, which my OB had told me that if I went past 40 weeks, her plan was for me to have a non-stress test every single day until we actually went into labor. We didn't end up having one until the day before I delivered. So we were at 41 weeks at that point. And I've often wondered if that was an oversight. I recognize the hospital had a shortage of nurses. I'm sure it was a really busy week. I know my OB who had been seeing me through the course of my pregnancy had been in for a couple of days before I actually went in to deliver. And so it's possible that because I didn't flag it, that nobody was pushing for it and that that could have been something that could have been helpful We did have an NSC the day before we delivered, and it showed that everything appeared to be normal. So I don't know if that's something to worry about or not, but it's definitely something I would raise. If you go past 40 weeks, especially if you're over the age of 35, what I've heard is that it's a good idea to have some close monitoring for the days leading up to labor and delivery. 
The second thing that I shared with you is that my induction date slipped a few days, and it is quite possible that that cost Summer's life. I'll always wonder if we had delivered a little bit earlier, as we had originally discussed with our OB, if we might have had a different outcome. Doctors have said they really believe that something random and traumatic happened in labor that they just can't explain because we don't have live imaging internally while you're delivering to know what was happening inside. Mm -hmm. But it is possible that if we delivered her earlier, that maybe maybe she would have been stronger to make it through labor and delivery. The third was that my labor progressed really quickly for somebody who was a first-time mom. I had just one pill, 150 microgram pill of mesoprostol, and my labor um, progressed, and I was fully dilated at seven to eight hours in, and I had heard that Sometimes it took 12 or 16 hours for people to get there. So I had been in a lot of pain and I remember the doctor coming in and asking the level of pain and whether I wanted a partial epidural or a full epidural. I was really dead set on a partial. And then they stood there and just watched me through my next contraction. And they're like, I'm not sure that partial epidural is going to cut it for you right now. You seem like you're in a lot of pain. An hour later, they came back to check me and recognized that I was at 10 centimeters. And they were like, and that is why you were in a lot of pain earlier because you dilated really quickly. I had read in research after losing summer that sometimes aggressive and quick labor can just be a lot for a, a baby's system. They're fragile. And I will always wonder, did that weaken her ability to make it out of labor and delivery safely? Mm-hmm. It's no easy thing for a baby to squeeze through the birth canal and make it out. That is almost like a a very traumatic way to enter the world. It's the way many babies are born and it's safe if you're a healthy baby and your system can handle it. And so I do wonder about that. Um, I do think that induction can be done safely. I'm quite certain that in the future, if I have another child, we'll either be induced or have a C-section. But I wonder because we were induced late, was there extra complication in our process. Mm. We also had our case reviewed by um, a clinician scientist in obstetrics at the Mayo Clinic. It's just one of those top research hospitals in the country. And we had friends who said, I know somebody that will take a meeting with you. And so we spoke with that doctor. We also spoke with somebody who was a former president of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And they pointed out a few things that were not blatantly wrong, uh, but just curious to them, was we had had some level two decelerations in our tracing report that you see on the monitor when you're in labor and delivery. And what we learned is that tracing reports are really difficult to interpret. And if you have level two decelerations, that it's difficult to know if you're a level two deceleration, that's almost a level one, which is not a problem. Or if you're a level two deceleration, that's almost a level three, which could be a big problem. Anything you see in level three can lead to a really bad Mm -hmm. outcome. They don't have a way today in labor and delivery to decipher that level two is this big gray space. So that's why there are technology companies trying to find better solutions to monitoring the well-being of a baby during labor and delivery. And so we had had some level two decels. They did some standard things that they do during labor and delivery to try and mitigate that. They tipped me to my side for a little while. They continued to monitor my heart rate and the baby's heart rate for a little bit to make sure everything looked okay. 
They had me drink some cold water, I think, to probably see if they could get the baby's heart rate to respond the way that they expected it to. And then it seemed like things resolved. There wasn't a ton of concern anymore. I didn't really know at that point what they were looking for. I had heard from friends that sometimes they'll tip you on your side to try and adjust things, but that it's usually not something to be too worried about. But now that I know what I know about that level two and the tracing report, I will probably in a future pregnancy want to know what's going on on the screen more carefully and what are we not sure that we know. The other thing was that the OB that was attending our labor and delivery broke my water and then they could see that we were getting emotional, that mix of excitement and a little bit scared because we've never done this before. And she said from the kindest place, I'm going to leave you two for about 30 minutes because I just, I feel like you could use this time to soak in what's about to happen in your lives. Like, this is so special and and I'll be back and check on you. You'll be fine. I guess a more conservative approach would have been to just deliver us right away, especially because we had had some level two decelerations and because my labor had progressed pretty quickly for a first time mom, um, it might've been more prudent to not leave the room. Again, this is another gray space as I understand it in labor and delivery. So there's nothing blatantly wrong with the course of action that was taken, but it's possible that if we got Summer out immediately instead of leaving her in there for 30 more minutes, maybe we could have had a different outcome. The last that was a blatant accident was that we learned that the hospital actually lost our cord gas sample. And why that would have been important to us is that your cord gas sample can tell you about whether a baby was struggling antepartum, intrapartum, or postpartum. Because we don't know what happened to our daughter, having clues like that would help us understand how to manage a future labor and delivery. We don't know. So we'll be left to go into labor and delivery and like pregnancy again in the future, not knowing if whatever happened could happen again or how to manage it. All we've got is best guesses and being monitored from every direction possible. And the reason that they lost it was that, I guess, it was explained to us that normally this is used in the hospital as a way to understand the course of action to take care of a baby. But because it was clear that Summer was in critical condition and needed to be in the NICU with like the best neonatologist in the hospital, there was no reason to even test that cord gas sample. Um, Instead, they just escalated to the next step in their process. Mm -hmm. But That was valuable for the doctors to know we don't need to do this to understand what our next step is, but it left us as parents unclear about what we could do in the future. And so I wish that they hadn't lost that sample in the fray of trying to take care of Summer. And on the other hand, I'm glad they did everything that they could to try and take care of Summer. A bit of a catch 20. Yes. Yeah. But thank you. I mean, the fact that you have such a detailed play by play of what happened and are just going to yeah. go in so aware and conscious the next time around or help someone who's in your shoes. It's, it's really, really wonderful that you're doing this and you're, you're sharing. What led you to March of Dimes? Yeah. We, really wanted a problem to be able to solve. Being able to make some good in your healing process can be really valuable. We knew that we wanted some way to keep Summer's legacy alive. We wanted her to be able to be here on the planet and grow up to be a scientist or an engineer like her dad and be that, that woman who 
showed other girls in the world that you can be anything that you want to be, regardless of gender representation in any career, which is not here to be able to do that. And so we needed to find a way to help her make that impact some some other way. Yeah. And we wanted to be able to solve the problem that took her life, but we never got the answer about what was the thing that took her life. We started digging around for what are the ways that you could better monitor labor and delivery? Could we have had better signs that something was going wrong or to know that she was struggling and to be able to take a different course of action to maybe proactively saved her life? And we read about radiant oximetry and then we found that March of Dimes had funded Radiant Oximetry through this innovation fund that had been created recently. And it led us down the path to get curious and to want to talk more to March of Dimes about what this innovation fund was and how we could become a part of the difference that it's trying to make in the world. Can you tell us more about the innovation fund and what led you to pledge your support um, and honor Summer in this way? So the Innovation Fund is seeking out startups that are developing technology solutions that will help support better maternal and fetal outcomes. They've already made their first three investments in Radiant Oximetry, Iron Health, and Paramus. So Radiant Oximetry has a solution that can measure blood oxygenation of baby during labor and delivery. Iron Health has a solution that bridges the gap across the health journey for patients that are pregnant and enables multidisciplinary care through a tech-enabled platform. And Paramus has a wearable device that provides continuous non-invasive blood pressure monitoring for babies and eventually will provide a solution for moms as well. We were excited about this because in our effort to try and figure out what had happened summer, we realized we weren't going to get answers. And then we just started trying to understand What are the solutions that we could maybe contribute to that would make this better for other people? So we talked to a lot of MFNs and a lot of OBGYNs across the U.S., including some of the top doctors at Cornell Weill Medical, since it's affiliated with our alma mater. And what we learned along the way is that doctors today and hospitals, health systems, insurance companies tend to invest more often in pharmaceutical solutions or practices in the hospital that can lead to better process, better outcomes. They have a little bit of a risk aversion to investing in technologies in this space and because the adoption of these new technologies can be really tricky and there's a long FDA approval process around it. But we grew up in the era of Silicon Valley, and we live not too far away from it. We're really big believers in the rapid innovation that comes out of technology innovation. And we're able to send people to the moon and mm-hmm. Mars. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing we're working on today. But we don't know how to, sol- how to save a baby in labor and delivery in a number of different types of circumstances. And yet we have this advanced technology. So we feel like Technology can offer a lot of solutions in this space, but somebody had to be willing to make the investment. What's really unique to us about the March of Dimes is that they have a board comprised of doctors, scientists, um, hospital administrators. They have the influence and the seal of approval to be able to help these startup companies really break through the barriers that can make it difficult to get the adoption and the buy-in that you need in a healthcare system to get a new technology into practice. What advice do you have for families who are navigating this, wanting to know the answers and wanting to know next steps? Yeah. 
on the side of wanting to know answers and next steps. Um, I really do believe that was a place where mom sense was important to us. A doctor had told us no one will be a better advocate for you than yourself. She said, I'll do everything I can to help you, but you will find at some point that you'll be your best advocate. And that really became important to us to think about who do we know and how can we best navigate the system. And then we tapped into every angle that we could. We have friends who are doctors. We asked about their best connections and got linked up with the Mayo Clinic and with that president at the Mer the former president of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, who was helpful to us. We worked through our network to some doctors in the UCLA health system that were helpful to us. Um, they have one of the best placental pathologists in the Western half of the country who is very kind and helpful and clarified some very important things in our process. It takes a lot to get these appointments mm. and it's hard because you have to keep telling your story over and over and it's heartbreaking and difficult to do it but it meant the world to us to be able to get those answers. And I just felt like I had to be a bit of a warrior and do what I could to try and find answers along the way. So don't give up. It's a complex system, but there are people out there who do want to help you. There are people who are really kind and will find windows of time to try and help you. And there are a lot of researchers out there who are trying to find answers. So they're itching to hear these stories and to understand the data better. And I feel like March of Dimes is a really big part of that. As soon as we found them, we found this entire community of doctors and scientists and researchers who are willing to help and so happy to hear our story and connect and provide whatever insights they know. So it really helps to plug into a community that has a lot of the resources all in one place. And you're a beacon of hope for so many. And what brings you hope now? I hope that the the legacy that we're setting up for summer with the March of Dimes makes a difference in saving other babies and helping other parents not have to experience what we're living mm. through. And I'm definitely holding on to hope that we get to have that. You will. You definitely will. Thanks. Thank you, Erica. Your story is so touching and we wish you nothing but the best. And thank you so much for helping families along the way. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. You too. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode with March of Dimes on pregnancy and infant loss awareness. That's total mom sense.